So for our second conversation of this morning, we're looking at the issue of nepotism. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about this conversation because some of the examples are just a bit unbelievable, right? And, and we know sort of broadly um, what nepotism is, or at least I, I hope, I think we know what nepotism is um, as, 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 as a country, but we'll get the experts to explain it for us in their words. Uh, joining me in studio for this conversation, Cynthia Schumann is the Managing Director of Ethics Monitoring and Management Services. Cynthia, good morning to you. Thanks for taking the time out to come to studio. It's a pleasure. Lovely to be here. Also joining us for this conversation, Dudum Somi, who is founder and CEO of Busara Leadership Partners. Dudu, good morning. Good morning. I'm sorry I'm not in studio. <laughs> no pressure, no pressure, you know, but but you are thrown a little bit under the bus here. Cynthia was, was, the, was the overachiever today. <laughs> Great to have you on, uh, Dudu. And Karam Singh is Executive Director at Corruption Watch. Karam, good morning. Being in person there with you, I would have loved that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you, nonetheless, for being part of the conversation. So in a moment then, I'm going to just play some clips that will set the context for us in terms of what we're really dealing with when we talk about nepotism. And in particular, looking at what Zimbabwe's president, Emerson Nangagwa, has done just in the last week, because it becomes the most recent example of blatant nepotism that I believe we can point to. We'll get into that conversation after this quick break. The Talking Point with Kathy Motlasana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. Well, thanks for staying with us on The Talking Point. Cynthia, I want to begin with you um, just in as far as descriptions or um, meanings are concerned. What is nepotism? used to, to describe an appointment where we're looking at appointing, uh, mostly it refers to family members, but it's often extended to, to close friends or relatives. And where we're, it's mostly in, a, in an appointment situation, we're appointing them on the basis of that relationship rather than on the basis of their suitability uh, for the position or for even having the competence that the position requires. Now, often, of course, um, I think that in our society, sometimes we move beyond just the fact that somebody is um, not necessarily qualified for that position, but the close association becomes where the bias comes in, where the favorability uh, comes in. How are we seeing that translated? Because sometimes it's not just because somebody isn't qualified. Maybe this individual is qualified for the job, but the proximity uh, to that person as power is what facilitates or enables the appointment in that position. Um, there, there are a couple of dimensions to what you're saying that, mm -hmm. that I think are pertinent. I want to pick on one that I think is maybe not as obvious, and that is let's assume now it, it is a family member or some close associate, and they, as you say, genuinely do have the competence, the experience. The challenge that person faces if they are appointed to that role is that we have experienced so much nepotism and the negative effects of it, where, for example, the job is not adequately done, that the person who's appointed 
in theory for the right reasons, sits with this prejudgment hanging over them of, of the comments saying, yeah, well, you know, she only got the job because her dad's the chairman or whatever. And, and it, in fact, is in many ways almost a bit of a setup for failure for that person who's got the competence. So that's an important nuance, speaking to the first part of your point, that I think we shouldn't lose. As we speak about this issue, I want to cue just this clip of um, the president, Emerson Mangagwa, the Zimbabwean president, after, of course, he appointed his son, David uh, Kudakwashi, as the deputy finance minister. He said it was part of the parliament's youth quota. He also reportedly appointed his nephew, Tongai Mnangagwa, as the deputy tourism minister. And this is how he justified um, these decisions. When a minister is appointed, he or she reports to the appointer. So it is we will get satisfied whether a minister is doing well or not. The fact that I've reappointed it means that I am satisfied. I don't know who's not satisfied. When they become president, they can remove it. So, <laughs> Dudu, what, what, what do you make of that? I mean, is it a classic case of, of nepotism? Or, as he says, if he's satisfied with their service delivery and performance, it doesn't matter what anybody else has to say. Because he's saying that somebody else appointed. So he said, well, I came, he was there, and he's doing well, so why should I remove him because I'm the relative? Uh, yeah, so, I mean, it becomes very tricky. I must say, we make it an African issue, but remember Donald Trump, very blatant uh, in the first world, but also you go to the White House. When you go to the White House, uh, the president is usually surrounded by uh, friends uh, or colleagues from their business schools, law schools. Uh, so. It usually comes from trust. You can see what's happening possibly in Zimbabwe that he's trying to surround himself with people he can trust. And most times the people you start trusting are the family members. The issue with nepotism really it comes with the corruption. It's, the, it's whether you deliver on what the mandate of that role is and to meet the needs of the country. And what ends up happening, which is why we all get very upset about nepotism, is that delivery doesn't happen. You look at the situation in Angola where the president's kids became the richest people on the continent and even in the world. So that's where the issue is. But if you look at, even in Europe, you, you if you actually start looking at the networks, you'll find that many people are friends or associates. So nepotism does happen. It's just that delivery still happens. So, so, so what are you saying, Dudu? Are you saying that where nepotism is taking place, but there's still efficiency, then it's not a problem. Then it's a nepotism we can live with you know um of course what that means inadvertently is that um opportunities that are accessible especially to elites then become the preserve of elites that they they're people who are not ever going to be eligible for certain opportunities because they're not part of that society they're not part of those associations I've, what I'm saying is, let us. It's very important to strive for a world where nepotism doesn't happen. The reality is that 
you can't legislate ethics. Uh, you are sitting with the person who's actually the expert in, in ethics. You can't legislate ethics. People will always find ways around it. Uh, in Africa, we've just gotten a bad rap because people report on it and people are aware. Uh, Donald Trump did it and people just managed to go for the four years without uh, too much hoo-ha around it. What I'm saying is it's not fair for people not to have access because they don't have close relationships. Mm -hmm. But what ends up happening because of the values of people in those positions, they will try ways. You've just had uh, people in agriculture talking about the middle, uh, the intermediaries that, that are now in, in the value chain. Uh, so even if it is not family members, people will put in associates so that they can eat along the way. Uh, so the real issue is around our value systems and our ethics that force us uh, to not force us because make us do these things because we are trying to uh, to defraud uh, the state. Uh, this is what it's, it's happening. Right. But just imagine if delivery was happening, people wouldn't really notice. Hmm. Okay, I've, I've, I've got a lot to say about that, but but only later on. Uh, Cynthia also seems to have a, a few additions <laughs> to it, but Cynthia, I'll give you a chance now. Karam, let me give you an opportunity to come in here. Thanks, Kathy. Um, let me let me return to a to a definition. Um, we have something called the national anti-corruption strategy in South Africa doesn't actually say very much about nepotism, but it does define nepotism as the abuse of power to control appointments to office or the right to privileges and is used in the context as synonymous with cronyism, favoritism, and preferential treatment. Now, you know, there's a kind of legal discussion here and there's a kind of ethical discussion. And then I think there's a question about sort of how do we set the tone to ensure that there's not abuse uh, uh, going forward? You know, from, from where I stand, you know, there is something distinct between nepotism, cronyism, and favoritism. You know, nep nepotism is clearly when uh, there is a, sort of a flow of power and benefits to to family members, to very close associates, uh, and now we're talking in the context of politics. And we, you know, we've seen examples of it. Uh, I think the, the Zimbabwe one is fascinating because it's so recent. But I mean, we have seen this across uh, political jurisdictions and cultures. You know, you talk about Trump, you can go back to the the Kennedys. You know, Bobby Kennedy was uh, appointed as Attorney General under under uh, John Kennedy as president. Um, so, you know, it does pop up from time to time in South Africa. We've seen it. Uh, we, we've seen uh, allegations of nepotism, both under Jacob Zuma and, you know, in terms of uh, even Cyril Ramaphosa's son and connections with Bosasa. So, um, you know, it, it's definitely in the mix when we talk, when we look about, look at what happened in the era of state capture. And, you know, I just wonder going forward if we, if we don't need stronger stronger rules, more clear rules uh, in terms of prohibitions around these things in order to uh, get beyond some of the gray fuzziness that exists in terms of the debate you are having just now to say, well, you know, uh, uh, you know, if the person's got some qualifications and they can deliver, then, 
you know, it, it doesn't, it, it's not as consequential uh, uh, that they got the, the role as a, as a result of connections, you know, uh, maybe if we have more bright line rules, then, you know, we can throw that debate uh, to the side. Okay, we'll continue the conversation in, in a moment. And, and I'm particularly, uh, you know, interested in, in hearing the views around this idea that you cannot legislate ethics. Can you really not? Surely if I am the CEO of an organization from a highly qualified family and you have my nieces and nephews that are all occupying managerial positions in that organization, at which point does it become a problem? Despite the fact that they could all well be A students, they could all be incredibly exceptional at, at what they do, but surely at some point, um, there must be an opportunity to raise questions. And, 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 and this definition that Karam has given us begins with um, a- explaining and defining nepotism as an abuse of power. So if we just look at that alone, it says that there is something wrong. We'll continue the conversation in a moment. It's just after uh, 10.30. It's time for your latest news headlines. Cynthia, Dudu and Karam are back with me on the other side of the update. SAFM 104 to 107 nationwide. Leading the conversation. Hashtag SAFM Talking Point. So we're looking at the question of nepotism, how that plays out, and really what is it that we can do to um, create systems that disable nepotism, uh, particularly whether it's in the public space, in a corporate space, um, and especially with, within our politics, because that's where I think the public cost becomes more. Uh, Cynthia, you've wanted to say quite a bit uh, for, for some time now. Let me give you an opportunity to, to do that before I ask my own questions. Well, I, I think there's so much on the table now. It's a good question is to where, where do you start? Um, two comments. Uh, when we're looking at the abuse of power, and, and no, no debate that, that that certainly is a factor, I think what that abuse manifests as, whether, as Dudu said, it manifests as corruption, whether it manifests as literally the inability to do the job and render the service, that, that I think is an interesting conversation. But getting back to another aspect of what Karen said is when we're looking at, at how do we deal with this, how do we create uh, not legislation, but rules or systems. And here, most organizations should have and or do have policies that, for example, put in some checks and balances so that family members cannot be employed or work in a reporting line. And again, it is trying to remove the the very obvious inference of favoritism of someone getting away with things that other employees might not. So, so that reporting line is one mechanism, but of course, a crucial issue to avoid this abuse of power at the outset is that when we're looking at those appointments, family members should not be engaged in any part of the recruitment process. It should be a a fair, transparent and open process that is managed by impartial people. And, And by definition, if it's your daughter being appointed, you should not be on that panel. And, and so that as a mechanism can add a, a real measure of fairness and, again, look at the candidates fairly. Um, I, I think an aspect of that that Dudu also spoke to is that often the trap is 
that those appointments are not open to everyone, that, you know, the, the CEO or the minister has got a small group of trust associates and he see, she says, I want that person because I trust them the most. Now, again, let's be clear, we're subverting what should be a transparent and accessible process for anyone with the, with the skills. Uh, Cynthia, this conversation around networks and, and the role of networks, obviously... Um, there's also the common, you know, joke about how, um, you know, the CEOs of the JC listed companies all come from at least three schools in this country. And there's, they, there's no denying that those networks exist. But at, at what point then does it become a problem? Those associations become a problem in, in the context of the conversation that we're having. Because what Dudu is saying is that, well, this is how the world works. Um, and there's no working around it. Go elsewhere in the world, look at what's happening, and it's undeniable. That, that's true. But, you know, it's missing another very powerful business argument that I think we in South Africa are very aware of. And that business argument is the wealth that diversity brings, that when you're all part of the same boys club or whatever it is, where you've all come from that same school, I understand the trust relationships and I understand its value. But we're also then getting people who have in some ways uh, been sort of conformed to not groupthink, but, but who are very supportive of each other. And and yet there is a... An, absolutely you know non-negotiable argument for the fact that diversity in the multicultural and and hugely complex world we're in is is a massively important thing to get and hear those different views so so in fact i would saying that you know employing your five best friends is is really bad because you're not hearing the diversity of views that would enable you to stay ahead in terms of your business or, or whatever. Mm. I want to play this clip before I come back to you, Dudu. This is by Dr. Ngosana Moyo, who's also speaking on the phenomenon of nepotism, um, and, and I think specifically on the continent. Most of our countries, in the way they are administ administered, the way they run their affairs, uh, are full of nepotism, full of patronage, and these two things lead to lack of meritocracy in the administration of our public lives. And lack of meritocracy automatically also unfortunately leads to lack of performance management. We need to start looking through or looking at how the world experiences us and then reacts to that experience. So as the world experiences us, as we send people out there in the world, in particular through the public sector, through diplomacy, what the world experiences as we send these representatives out there are people who are lazy, people who are unimaginative, and totally uninnovative. Because these people are not sent there on the basis of deserving to be sent there. They are sent there because mostly they are related to whoever is running the country and whoever is part of the administration. Well, certainly not mincing his words there, um, Dr. Moyo. Dudu, the word that has come in there that I think is important to highlight is meritocracy and, and a system of, of meritocracy, which 
um, we've long spoken about and speak about in this country, but um, we're not quite there yet. Um, first, just before I answer that, I'm not disputing meritocracy. I believe in it, which is why even I myself invested myself. The issue around legality versus ethical, uh, when we say we can't legislate ethics, is because ethics are mainly just principles and social norms of what's good and right. What is legal is written in law. So when we get to issues like corporate governance and conflicts of interest, you will find definitions which will very clearly tell you what not to do. But as I said, we all know what not to do in the legal sense. So you'll find unethical ways to subvert that. So when you talk about uh, meritocracy, especially when you get to political par parties, um, it actually gets undermined in the long term because loyalty usually supersedes accountability, responsibility and delivery. We've seen that in terms of PRASA or ESCOM, people that were highly qualified uh, in terms of you look at your, their qualifications in the leadership uh, uh, position, but because of the decisions that they took out of loyalty to whoever or whatever party, they compromise their their merits in terms of their qualifications. So I will keep on going back to our value system. That is what grounds us because without having those value systems that tell us what is right and wrong, what is good and, and right, we will keep on finding shortcuts. So you will have people who are not related to you in those positions, but still do not deliver because there will still be siphoning money out of organizations through other networks, which may not be obvious relatives or obvious friends. So, so then... Are there points where nepotism can can be justified? And this is something that I want you know sort of all our guests to weigh in on. But um, I'll begin with you. Do do you think that there there are instances where nepotism can can be justified? Is it a bad thing? I wouldn't. I don't think it can be justified. I live in reality. <laughs> it's like what? How much energy am I expanding fighting the reality? It may not be justified in 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 a a organization where it is not a public sector or public company. So in my own company, I can have nepotism. In family-run organizations, you can nepotism. When we are when are using public funds, that's where we start putting in laws to prevent that. This is why we have the Companies Act and King 4, which try and guide us in terms of what is the right thing to do so we don't have conflicts of interest. So. In itself, uh, the word nepotism is negative because of the favoritism and the abuse that comes with it. But what I'm saying is the energy should be on delivery and making sure that countries are run properly. And if those people who are related or are associates or are party members were doing the right thing, we would all be happy, but they are not doing the right thing because they're abusing their powers. Karam, do you find, and, and as Corruption Watch, I know that, uh, you know, a part of your mandate is to look at corruption broadly. But of course, what we often see is that it's corruption in the public sector that tends to get a lot of the attention. So then building on, on what Dudu has said, is it easier to look at um, issues of nepotism where it concerns 
public organizations, political parties than it is when we're looking at private, uh, you know, institutions. Yeah, um, I mean, I, just looking at what's the, what's the broad legal framework in place uh, to, to legislate against nepotism, you know, you've got the Constitution, which talks about uh, the prohibition on unfair discrimination. If, if we're saying that nepotism is an abuse of power, uh, then, you know, inherently it's a kind of form of unfair discrimination. And it's much easier to, to you know, it's, it's not easy, but it's easier to monitor and police that in a public sector context. We've got a, a public service act. We've got a municipal systems act. You know, once you start moving into uh, a legislation uh, uh, entities in terms of the Employment Equity Act and the Companies Act, you can also say that the Employment Equity Act prohibits unfair discrimination, you know, and that nepotism is inherently a form of, of unfair discrimination. So it's not inconceivable, you know, that one could, could, could prosecute a type of nepotism case in a, in a completely private context. But I think, you know, the, 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 again, the values and the, the, the conventions are, 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 are considered different, you know, when you're running a, a small entrepreneurial business or a family business where um, that's been the, the, you know, for generations, uh, it's been passed down through the family, you know, uh, and that would be nepotism, but uh, it would be a practice or a culture of an organization, which, uh, you know, which, which may have been, um, you know, endorsed over a period of time. So, you know, I, I do think there are distinctions and, and, and probably is easier to think about, again, more, a more bright-lined uh, kind of black-and-white approach in a public context. Cynthia, is this why then we often hear people talk about double standards, that um, you know, the public sector is held to a harsher standard than the private sector, and that you know, the things that shouldn't be happening in both, but often it, it, it's, it's the public sector that makes headlines. And, and, and perhaps we can also explain um, that distinction for us that, that Karim has has touched on that sometimes I mean if ethics are ethics are ethics um, as Dudu has said you know that ultimately it speaks to values in a society if if these are our collective values why is it that it applies more when we're looking at one part of our society and not the other I, I think the distinction between private and public is a, is an important conversation and and let's be clear that Classically, when we're looking at, for example, corruption, can we be clear? It's a two-party game. It's almost always the public sector who's sitting with the very huge project, and, and it's the private sector who's a supplier to that. And so this is a two-party arrangement. So you can say they're equally guilty, and of course they are. But here's, a, a, I think, a noteworthy distinction that mostly in the private sector, you and I as consumers can choose whom we deal with. If we think that insurance company is really unfair, we can go to another one. The differences in public sector is actually they run a monopoly. You don't get to say, you know, I've been thinking about it. I'm thinking I'm going to pay my taxes to give to the givers. They are such good guys, and they do such good work with it. And, and I mean, we could quote a dozen examples that whether it is your driver's license or your tax or a multitude of services, um, 
the government is the only entity we get to deal with. Now, you can quickly add that, of course, a lot of that over the years has been privatized uh, for reasons that, that we understand. But there are still many, many core areas where we don't have a choice as citizens. And because of that, because of the huge added responsibility that that situation brings, that is the reason I would make a distinction to say that the public sector sits with a far, far greater responsibility to be doing the right thing, to behaving ethically and fairly. Um, not that I'm dismissing it in the, in the private sector, but I think that distinction uh, rests on the huge responsibility they have. This issue of how people are appointed to public office or uh, even to positions in the public sector has been a contentious one in, in this country too. And often political parties have justified it by saying, well, of course, if I'm elected into office, I'm going to bring my own people that I trust, you know, that issue of associates and networks you trust, that comes up again. And we see it even at local government level. Uh, you know, the administration changes the mayor. So guess what? Everybody in the mayor's office is changing. Uh, the new mayor brings in their own people. And it's, it's, it's been characterized in some instances, if we're looking at, at the governing ANC party, as cadre deployment. But then you have other political parties that say, no, we want a system of meritocracy. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that those individuals that have been picked on meritocracy, I say in inverted commas, are also not close associates or, you know, believe in um, or, or have some kind of networks uh, with those organizations. And how, how do we look at that and say, well, actually, this is wrong or this is right? I think one of the factors that comes into play in so many of those cases um, really rests under the word power. That, that and I think it's a point in the Zimbabwe case as well, that, that when someone is elected to a position or appointed to a position in the public sector, it brings with it varying degrees of power, authority, you know, choose a word. And can you see that when we are then able to surround ourselves with people who are part of our group, I use the word who will be loyal to us. Let's be clear, who will do our bidding to achieve the aim we're trying to achieve, irrespective of whether that aim is proper, whether that aim is if self-gratification and, and personal gain. Um, where we surround ourselves with that, it's often under the banner of really preserving that power because the power is what enables us uh, to achieve whatever it is, and often whatever it is is not positive, as we well know. We'll continue the conversation in a moment. I'm going to take a quick break. I'm back with uh, Cynthia, Dudu, and Karam. I've, I'll also squeeze in just maybe time for one or two comments from our listeners. The number to dial in on 086-000-2032. And on the WhatsApp voice note line, I'll take those contributions on 0614-104-107. Apply. Hashtag SFM Talking Point. China has established a system of meritocracy or what can be described as selection plus election. Competent leaders are selected on the basis of performance and broad support through a vigorous process of screening, opinion surveys, internal evaluations, 
and various types of elections. This is much in line with the Confucian tradition of meritocracy. After all, China is the first country that invented the civil service examination system or the Kerju system. Today, China practices, not always successfully, but on the whole successful, meritocracy across the whole political strata, criteria based on poverty eradication, job creation, local economic growth, social development, and increasingly, increasingly, environmental protection are all key criteria for selecting and promoting officials. A good example of this were the profiles of China's new leaders elected at the 19th Party's Congress. Six of the seven of the top leaders, members of Standing Committee of Political Bureau, have run provinces or province-level municipalities, many of which, in terms of population or GDP, are equivalent to many nations combined. It's not far-fetched to claim that the China model is more about leadership rather than showmanship, as in the West. So, despite many deficiencies, the Chinese polity has delivered the world's fastest growing economy. In China's Confucian tradition of meritocracy, a state should always strive for what's called a shang shangzi, or the best of the best options, by choosing leaders of the highest caliber. All right, and that was Professor Zhang Weiwei, Dean of the China Research Institute at Fudan University. And he there explaining why he believes China has been able to distinguish itself above other countries and goes back to that system of meritocracy. I'll hear what our guests have to say about that in a moment. Ngonde in Cape Town, good morning. Katie, are you there? Yes. Good. Katie? I'm living in the real world, not utopia, all right? Not ideal world. Mm. You guys and your guests, I agree with you fully from the textbook point of view, right? You know, now, in the real world, I remember listening to a seminar by DJs. He was preaching about three Ds, divine, designated, and distance, right? So it, it would appear to me, from where I am, that perhaps, you know, this thing of nepotism, chronism, whatever, does have some biblical reference, right? Because if it is divine, you can't argue that. That means that God is number one, right? Or whatever God you perceive, no matter how God you perceive. Now, number two, designated, those are the people close to you, right? Mm-hmm. Then distance. Those were people that are distant. So, T.D. James was preaching about these three days. So, I think they've got some application in their real world, not ideal world. All right. And to me, the real world replaced meritocracy with kleptocracy. Thank you. All right. All right, Ngonde. Uh, I think the view, loud and clear there, uh, what are the realities that we're contending with in our societies? Good morning, Kathy. It's Nora here in Heidelberg. You see, the problem now with nepotism, I, we had this thing at my workplace where my boss, where, they, where he hired his, uh, his girlfriend. Now, 
this the girlfriend was talking back at him did not respect him she would just do as she pleases go in and out of the office anytime she wants where it ended up where the staff members also didn't respect the rules and didn't respect him and they said if this person doesn't do it we won't either when she walked out the staff walked out so it really sometimes it is very bad for the morale of the company because that person that closeness to that person gives them certain rights that other employees are not going to get certain privileges where they disrespect the, his authority in front of the staff so sometimes it really doesn't work Ah, oh, Nora, it's such an, an excellent point of how it, it, it translates itself and plays out in real life. As we get ready to conclude this conversation, Karam, I'm going to uh, begin with you. Um, in terms of then what we can be actively doing where it concerns nepotism, should we be doing doing anything about it at all? Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm a bit confused after this conversation because, <laughs> you know, they sort of what is the ideal as Ngonde talks about it and maybe versus what is reality? How do we bridge the two? Yeah, I mean, really briefly, Kathy, uh, you know, I think the greatest concern is this idea that we've we've sort of slipped into a kleptocracy, you know, and and if we are really concerned about the abuse of power, then we need to be concerned around how appointments are made, particularly appointments uh, in positions of authority, and we need to have really clear rules which which uh, uh, forbid uh, you know the kind of nepotism that could creep into our system. For one way that we can do that is to have much more open and transparent appointment systems put in place. Um, so that would be one sort of very strong recommendation we would make in terms of appointments to senior positions within the public sector and ensuring that that space All right. is, clean, is clean from nepotism. All right, Karam, thanks for that. Dudu? Uh, just starting off with the Chinese example, which everybody likes using, Confucianism is entrenched and it's part of their culture. The vision of the party is rooted in that. And this is the important thing. They have a vision of having a merit-driven country so that delivery happens. So the fact that they're all part of the same party and related in some way still doesn't excuse them the delivery part. And this is what I keep on saying, that we have to focus on the delivery part. We need to entrench our culture as South Africa in the constitution of human dignity, equality, and freedom. And if you believe in human dignity, you will not be a separate country of trying to loot the government and not deliver because you will think of the dignity of people, not driving through potholes, not having water that can kill them and many other things. So this is how you overcome all this. All right, Dudu, thanks for that contribution. Cynthia, let me wrap it up with you. Um, you know, I think so much has been said. I, I think we should almost come back to some of the, the clear workplace issues that I think are important. I think the the dearth of accountability at the moment is a real problem in our country. So, I mean, if I had two comments, uh, one would be that that we recognize that responsibility and accountability in any workplace is, I always say, this is not an optional extra. It is 
absolutely imperative that 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 is really acted on with with real focus and what i'd couple that to is is something as simple as performance management that we have fair systems of performance management and and that people are if they're delivering that's fantastic but the co- combining um, a, a focus on accountability responsibility with a, a sound fair system of performance management if if our various departments focused on that, it might go away to improving some service delivery. Cynthia Skuma, let me thank you for your time. You also heard from Dudum Somi and Karam Singh. It's time for your latest news update.